Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast. Hello and welcome to today's update from the Premier League. This is Football Social Daily from Sports Social. On today's podcast, well... There could be some big changes afoot in terms of footballing computer games, with some of the big players in the game questioning how their faces and names are being used in games like FIFA and Pro Evo without their permission. Are we about to see a footballing gaming revolution? Could we see FIFA changed forever? Or is it just a storm in a virtual FA Cup? We'll get onto that shortly. There's also Champions League games to discuss today, again with Bruno Fernandes at the centre of a Manchester United win and Chelsea securing qualification to the next round of the competition nice and early with a win over Rennes. Plus, as it's Wednesday, we'll be tackling the questions that you've got in via the socials in our Any Question Answered section. And with some people claiming that there is a crisis afoot at Manchester City, it's the Blues that are under the hot bulb of our floodlight focus today as we talk to the City Show's Nigel Rothband. That's coming up in a little bit. It's a European week on today's podcast and we've got two people whose teams couldn't be further away from Europe if they took one of those budget airline flights that promise they'll drop you off in the city you want to go to, but in fact land in a different continent somewhere else. We've got Leeds fan Ian Brannan. How you doing, Ian? I'm good, thanks. Yes. Uh, just a reminder that Leeds did get to the Champions League semi-final in something like 2001. Oh, just, just As if we could forget <laughs> Leeds fans reminding us yeah. all the time. That was when Ian Hart still played for you, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, the great side, as they would say. Uh, <laughs> and we've got Newcastle supporter... Marley M Dog Anderson, no such claims for you, Marley. Uh, well, you'd be wrong on that because you're actually clearly forgetting about our Intertoto Cup success of 2006, which everyone needs to know about, as it was basically a printed uh, piece of paper in a frame that was presented to a fuming-looking Scott Parker uh, <laughs> by virtue of us getting the furthest in the following year's Champions League. Uh, that's how we won it. It wasn't a final or anything like that. We just got the furthest in the following year's Champions League out of everyone. So that's how we won it. Well, as a as a West Ham fan, I'm pretty sure the most significant European adventure I can remember us being involved with was the Intertoto Cup, which we got in through via the uh, Fair Play <laughs> rankings. The good old so, Fair Play rankings. <laughs> yes, yeah, so there you go. I think that's got to be the most <laughs> disappointing of the trio. But let's start with today's topics. And we're kicking off with a fresh debate that kicked off last night around players' image rights. And it was sparked by a tweet from Zlatan Ibrahimovic, who questioned why his image was being used in computer games, specifically FIFA, the title there that EA Sports make. He tweeted, who gave FIFA EA Sport permission to use my name and face? FIFA Pro, I'm not aware to be a member of FIFA Pro. And if I am, I was put there without any real knowledge through some weird manoeuvre. I'm sure I never allowed FIFA.com or FIFA Pro to make money using me. It's an interesting debate and Zlatan Ibrahimovic isn't the first person to raise this. Arguably he's the most recognisable person to name this. Gareth Bale has also joined in the debate asking 
why his image is being used in computer games without his knowledge. It's a weird one, this, Marley, because, I mean, people like Zlatan Ibrahimovic and Gareth Bale are hugely protective over their image rights, but at the same time, it feels almost petty that they're questioning their use within a computer game because is it pure greed? Do they just have enough money? Do they need this extra cash that might come from a bit of licensing here and there? Uh, well, clearly they don't need the money, um, but I see what I see what they're doing, and I think it's fair enough that they're going after them. I think I think if you think about the amount of um, money the FIFA video game series has got, you know, compare that to you know um, to what to what Ibrahimovic and, and Bale and and the rest of them all make. I think you know you'd rather have that money because they're they're profiting off you. And I think if if I was in that situation, I would still. It's like a moral thing. I think people would. Uh, I would certainly want to wonder why um, a franchise was making um, money off off my likeness or my my name and my my face and that kind of thing. But it's a strange situation. This this whole thing because it could it could genuinely be pretty big. This um, it could change video games if uh, if it goes the way the players want to because. Um, the way they're sort of angling early on, it's almost as if you know you have to get permission from uh, the player. Um, it seems to be a bit of a player power thing. With if you want to make money off me, you should you should come to me rather than the club. Um, but FIFA Pro is it's a players' union, so it's it's got a mandate to sell name and likeness rights on behalf of every um, club in a in a nation. So, for example, um, if FIFA Pro have you know England signed up. Every player in that nation, every English player would have the um, would be covered by these rights. So there's clearly a loophole that Ibrahimovic has uh, has fell through. Whether FIFA Pro, whether Sweden aren't in FIFA Pro or something like that, um, and same with Wales as well. I'm not really sure uh, what that situation is, but clearly there is a loophole because he wouldn't take to Twitter and say, "Hang on a minute." You know, it, this isn't it isn't a question he's asking. He knows that somebody's making money off him. He's he's not saying, "Hang on, did you did you sign the right papers?" Mm. Because he knows that there's something wrong. So he's out in them, using Twitter as a um as a platform. So it could be, it could be massive because, in the future, it could mean you know if FIFA don't sort this out, um, it's gonna lead to fake player names. Um, you know, we've all played the games growing up of. You know, Proivo used to have it quite a lot with you know players being called Ronarid <laughs> instead of Ronaldo and Can instead of Keane and play you know things like that. Roberto Larcos instead of Roberto Carlos. Just a slight change of the name, and it, it, it we could see that going going back to the old days a, a little bit um, if if this goes the way that it's threatening to at the minute. I mean, my understanding of the way image rights are dealt with globally at the moment is that organisations like for the Premier League for example that sells image rights for clubs as a package so a club can't negotiate their own individual deal whereas in other leagues like Inter Milan in Italy and Real Madrid in Spain who Bale and Ibrahimovic are associated with or have been associated with in the past they negotiate their own deals separate from the rest of the league so it's possible so that could be where this is kind of born from the idea that things aren't traditionally sold in a package whereas for Premier League players they're kind of used to being lumped in with everyone else and being sold by the Premier League as a whole it's not just a cost implication for EA Sports there's also a potential time issue here because when you look at every league in the world and every single player having to have individual negotiations on their image rights it suddenly seems almost untenable for a company like EA Sports making the FIFA game to include real player names and likenesses. Yeah, I, I mean, EA Sports, you know, the FIFA games, they're often out of date the minute you buy them anyway, in my experience. And, and my experience dates back to World Cup 1998, uh, which is the first one I got. But, you know, you, you get them and, and often they're released uh, previously. I'm not sure about now, but they've always always re- released around about the time of the end of the transfer window. And so you, you get your team and you're still having to transfer players here and there to try and get that full authentic experience. So it is going to make that very difficult indeed. Um, and, and for me, I mean... I, 
I'm I'm sort of a bit perplexed. It seems to me to be an issue of greed. Um, is it coming from the player or is it coming from their agents who are sort of exploiting another avenue and, and maybe with a bit more momentum of, of some support from other players now thinking of getting something moving? But as you said, Jim, my understanding is, and this is going back quite a long time, even before Leeds United got to the Champions League semi-final, um, players were being uh, asked about their image rights at football clubs. I remember doing um, going to a press day at Sunderland and and the players were late coming out to do their interviews because they'd had a chat about their image rights. And the, the response of the players at the time was very much, you know, I don't know what they're talking about. I, I've got no idea what we had to do that meeting or what we've signed up for. Um, something about digital something <laughs> or other. And so, you know, maybe they have signed up to stuff uh, years years ago that, that binds them into to, you know, usage. But as far as I'm aware, it's uh, it, this is part of the contract negotiation. So you can't tell me that a game that's been around since 1993 that players are now only just becoming aware that maybe they're in this football game when they all play at home against each other online I, I don't buy it it just seems to be a oh hang on a minute we could get some money out of this that's an Ibrahimovic's angle as well he has there's photos of him online you can find of him holding yeah. the FIFA card of his player ratings with like his physical strength and speed and all that kind of thing posing with it so to, to say he's unaware of FIFA and his right his image being used is slightly ridiculous he's also played in FIFA Pro 11 games as well so <sighs> he's clearly yeah. aware of these things existing we'll have to wait to see how the situation pans out and whether more players decide to take a stand against this because it's one of those things I guess where there's strength in numbers incidentally this isn't the first yeah. time it's happened this year in June there was a case in Brazil where the Brazilian league, I think it was, uh, questioned the image rights from the EA Sports were using, and they were awarded 6.5 million Brazilian real, which is around 900,000 pounds. So it's not a isolated case, and we'll have to see how this one pans out. But let's talk about footballing incidents because there were two European games last night in the Champions League Manchester United and Chelsea both in action two wins as well let's start with Manchester United who beat Istanbul Besiktas for one important result this Marley considering how poor United were against Istanbul in the first leg yeah definitely there was there was um a point to be made with um with the performance last night i think Obviously, that shocking game against uh, Istanbul over in Turkey when Demba Bar got away with some of the worst defending I've ever seen from Man United. Um, there was always going to be that that wrong to right, I suppose, and they did that last night pretty comfortably. Uh, I think it was the game that fans were expecting when they went to Turkey, um, and it was a good performance. I thought Van der Beek was was pretty good. Obviously, Bruno took the uh, took the the plaudit with his ridiculous. Uh, First goal, I think Cavani got some important minutes under his belt. And overall, I mean, even Dan James came on and scored and boosted his confidence and his sort of standing in the squad. So I think, um, yeah, it was an overall really good performance for Man United and, and just what they needed at this uh, at this time. Again, Bruno Fernandes was at the central, was at the centre of everything Manchester United did, Ian. And he could have had his first ever Manchester United hat-trick last night but instead of taking the spot kick which he has done traditionally he passed the ball over to Marcus Rashford who took it and scored it which I think for me I don't know if you agree with this it just shows how important he is as a Manchester United player not just because of his contribution on the pitch but it's that kind of that kind of action that helps kind of build that squad bonding that squad mentality yeah we, we've spoken about it before haven't we the the strength of the squad and, and how they get on as as people as human beings with each other and how that is important to the overall performance of a team more than just scoring goals you know you've all got to get on with each other and and have that camaraderie and it was a great gesture and and reading his comments after the match you know he said that um, I'm happy for that my teammates have helped me a lot it was really important the way that everyone helped me in the first days and games so I'm really happy, um, but more important for me, it's helping the team, and I think I can help a little more. And obviously, there he's he's, he's repaying some of the um, help that he's had um, when he first moved to Manchester United. And you know, in those early days, it can be tri- tricky to set in. So obviously, you know, there is a big team. Uh, ethos there which takes time and and that's maybe what fans don't allow the time for that they expect that these world 
beating players, you know, get signed for for their team, and they think they they expect that immediately the, they're going to start flying the goals in, uh, perhaps like you do on a on a computer game that maybe their likeness is or isn't approved to be part of. Um, but it actually, in real terms, you know, if, like setting in settling into any job, wherever you go, it takes a few weeks, maybe a few months, and and eventually you get there. But you know, you know the talents in him, and um, and and the team uh, the, the the teamwork is is obviously coming now. Edison Cavani made his first start as well, Marley, last night, and he had a decent game. I think I saw someone on Twitter saying in one game he's controlled as many first-time balls as Lukaku did in his entire Manchester United career. <laughs> he's waited seven weeks for this start. He's made a couple of substitute appearances. How did he impact the way Manchester United played? Did they play with in a different style with him leading the line? Uh, I think so, yeah. I think his, his experience of being a centre-forward is... Um, is vital for Man United. I think his the way he plays is different to Martial. I think, you know, how many? I think Martial's been playing up front for two years now for Man United in that in that centre forward role, and we still don't know whether it's his best position because he he sort of he drifts around a lot. He's not he's not always up there, sort of pinned to a defender, giving him a problem all the time. Um, and sometimes it works with with Martial um, with his dovetailing with Rashford and on on the day they can be excellent but sometimes you need something different sometimes you need you know a six foot three focal point who scored 200 odd goals for for PSG and knows his way around the box a little bit so I think you've seen his impact as well just I mean for Bruno's second goal I think he he knows he's not going to get the ball um because the cross comes in over his head but he jumps into the keeper's eye line and, and puts him off and it's just that experience of of being a being a bit of a pain and being a um, something that's just going to annoy defenders and, and something that, that they've always got to think about. And from him jumping in front of the goalkeeper and, and giving him something to think about as he was trying to catch across, the goalkeeper fluffs it and it falls right to Bruno and it ends up uh, in the back of the net. So I think his 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 know-how and his, um, his quality over the years is going to be um, something that Man United can, can call on. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him get a... Uh, more of a, a first team run in the game, in the uh, in the Man United starting eleven because I think Martial's only got a couple of goals this season. Um, I think only one in the Premier League. I'm not not even sure if it's one, but he's certainly not hitting the heights. And uh, if you've got Cavani on the bench, you you better use him. As always with a Manchester United win, Manchester United Twitter went into overdrive. There were tweets about we're back, we've turned the corner. This is the result we need to kick on. All that kind of usual stuff and there has to be some kind of recognition as to the opposition Manchester United were playing not even the top team in the Turkish league at the moment but I was thinking about this I mean this pretty much sees Manchester United through to the next round of the Champions League they need one more point from the last two games so it's a pretty much a foregone conclusion they're going to qualify Ian and that's objective number one for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer this season qualifying for the last 16 of the Champions League so that's one tick against him you look at where they are in the league at the moment, they're not doing that badly. They look like they're set for a top four finish. How bad is it at Manchester United right now? Is it actually that the expectations are potentially too high and Manchester United are doing what probably they are expected to do this season? Well, we've just spoken about you know giving players time, and if if Fernandez is settling in and he can contribute uh, to the team, and and the team do start firing and 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 live up to their potential, you know we, we've spoken about the players they've got in their squad. They've got a lot of experience um, and a lot of you know good players that are are better than perhaps their. Premier League position, you know, the the Premier League is only eight games in, and um, you know, it's it's there's a lot can change in that time. Separate discussion is whether Manchester United are going to be fighting for a top four place. I, I think we need to give it a little bit longer to see if the form they're showing in the Champions League is actually going to transpire to um, to the Premier League. I mean, let's not forget, Jim. You know, they've got to get a, a result at uh, at West Ham uh, next weekend. You know, I mean, these these are the big fixtures that they've got to um, overcome. And of course, Man City coming up over the festive period as well. They've still got, as you say, some some European matches. It, it could <laughs> it could still go either way. Just yet. But I think the signs are promising that they are turning a corner. I'm not sure I would be, um, you know, um, putting the bunting out just yet. But, um, you know, it's not like Man United fans to get carried away, is it? 
It's looking pretty good for Chelsea, though, at the moment. Rennes won Chelsea 2 last night, and that sees Chelsea go through to the next round of the Champions League. They're in the last 16 already, an early qualification for Frank Lampard. Again, Marley, and we've talked about Oliver Giroud so much, not just because he's a fine-looking man with an impressive beard, but he seems to do the job for Chelsea every single time he comes off the bench. One of the most underrated players in probably Premier League history. How important? is Oliver Giroud for Lampard as an impact player. And if he is important, here's a slightly bigger question. How do they keep him happy? Because there's so many links with him away from the club. He's surely not going to be happy with that bit part player at the stage he is in his career. So how does Lampard manage that situation? It's a difficult one because, I mean, uh, me, Niall and Stefan were talking about this on on yesterday's podcast about Giroud's... um, his career and his record and his his quality over the years has been very very good. Um, he's he's underrated massively in my opinion. He's very very underrated. Um, he could have scored a lot more goals than he has um, had he been first choice for for a, a longer period. And I think his his quality does deserve that. Uh, but obviously, it's all in the past now. Um, with with those um, links, I think he could have led the Arsenal line for a few years longer. Um, before he decided to leave, but now he's at a, he's, he's at a stage where he's got to you know, sort of make do a little bit, and it's a tough one if he leaves because I don't know who's going to make a, a, a man of his age first choice. Um, so I think with the the thing for me, I think with Chelsea and and Giroud, I think when Chelsea were struggling a little bit towards the end of last season, they called on him and they they played off him as a as a centre forward. They played him up there instead of Abraham. And they looked a bit, um, looked a bit stronger because he had that, that experience and that um, amazing link-up play he's got. His his hold-up play is fantastic. It's one of the best I've I've ever seen. Um, in terms of ch- taking the ball in the chest, protecting it from defenders, and bringing other players in, he's second to to none really. Um, and that was that was sort of everything was happy in Giroud's life. And then they went out and signed uh, Werner, and obviously Abraham's another year older and. You know, gonna develop a little bit more, and he almost went backwards in the summer. And Deschamps has said it with with France; he's still in the squads, but he's not. Um, he's he's not going to be for long if he doesn't get a, a proper run. Um, and I think, I, I think his quality deserves a run. I think if Werner's playing from the left and and missing mm. sitters, which he he is a lot at the minute. Um, you know, if if you want to take the pressure off Abraham, I think you need to rely on Giroud a little bit more. But it's hard to change a winning team, so Chelsea are, are not encountering too many problems at the minute. So maybe a, a super sub, like an impact sub kind of thing, like like he proved last night, maybe is his short term role in the near future. Chelsea are a winning team at the moment. They're doing well in the Premier League, but. My question about Chelsea is how ruthless they can be going forward. And I think we saw a little bit of this last night against Wren because they were dominant in the first half, Ian, but still lacked that little bit of cutting edge. They were making the chances. And I know they've scored sort of threes and fours in the Premier League this season. Those threes and fours could have easily been sevens and eights. I guess it's not too much of an issue while you're generating those chances. But it doesn't feel like Chelsea are scoring as many as they could do for me at the moment. Yeah, they're they're not blowing people away, are they? And I'm I'm looking down the uh, the list of the players with the most shots um, in the Premier League currently, which I was I was looking at for for something else we're going to talk about later. But um, as as we're on the subject, and Chelsea only have one player in the top twenty. Um, of of the Premier League that are actually producing the shots, and that's Timo Werner. And guess what? He's the one that's scoring. But that's the only Chelsea player that actually makes that list. Um, I'm, let me just have a look at assists and see if they can we can offer any shred of um, comfort there. But uh, again, um, Zayek and Ben Chilwell are the only two players uh, and fairly low down that list who are contributing to assists. So yeah, they are a little bit um, not quite so potent up front. And when, when you look at the other teams that have got regular um, contributions in that list, you're talking Tottenham, Everton, Southampton are in there. Manchester City are producing the chances. Even Aston Villa are, uh, are uh, you know producing a lot of chances as well. So yeah, the, the chance creation of Chelsea should be a concern for Frank Lampard. 
I mean, they managed to get the, the job done last night. Um, but it, it answers that question or asks that question as well, doesn't it? That, you know, we're still fairly early in the season, a few injuries and, you know, in, in that department. And uh, would that set them back even further? So, yeah, it definitely is a, a concern when you look at how they're creating chances versus their rivals. The good thing, I think, for Chelsea qualifying this early potential Mali is that they've got two more games in the Champions League this year. They can kind of send out second string teams there. And that surely is going to impact the pressure on the first team during December, which is traditionally a month where there are loads of fixtures. There's a real glut of games over the Christmas period. Do you think that being able to rest players in the Champions League potentially is going to impact Chelsea's title challenge going forward? Uh, it can only help them, can it, I suppose. Um, if you're playing, you know, you're playing Werner 90 minutes on, on a Saturday, you don't want to play him on a on a, a Wednesday or a Tuesday as well. Um, so, yeah, fair. I mean, it could, it's only going to help them. I think Pulisic coming back as well, you don't want to sort of chuck a guy in with hamstring issues twice a week and have to rely on him. Um, and Chelsea have got a big squad as well. I mean, you know they've got they've got enough quality in that. I mean, they're, they're through in the Champions League, and you you think about who's going to start the next game in the Champions League for them. They could well have a seventy two million pound goalkeeper in in the uh, in the net. You could they, they could easily have Ru- Rudiger, Aspilicueta, you know Emerson, uh, Mount, all these players, Giroud, as we just talked about. So it's not exactly a, a bad team, but it is. Mm. Um, nice if you can you can um, hold off on on playing your first team more than once a week. I think Thiago Silva already struggles to play two games in five days at thirty six, so he's um, he's going to be appreciative appreciative of the rest. So yeah, fair enough. I think it's only going to help Chelsea in the in the December months. So it was important they got through last night, and that's that's probably why they decided like, they really tried to go and win it in the last minute and and got that breakthrough in the 91st minute because they knew what was what was on the line and it was basically two two rubber games um coming up that would allow them to recover a little bit better with this uh, crazy schedule still kicking you know kicking on in in top gear with with everyone playing you know a a, a very challenging match every four days so i mean it's only it's only going to help chelsea more Champions League action tonight for Premier League teams, including Manchester City, who face Olympiacos. We'll talk about that shortly with Nigel Rothband from the City Show in Floodlight Focus. Also elsewhere in the Champions League, Erling Haaland became the quickest player in history to score 15 Champions League goals. Not in one game, by the way, that was in his career. 15 Champions League goals in his career. So his stunning development is continuing with Borussia Dortmund at the moment. Right, we're going to move on to the Any Question answered section of the show next your questions have been coming in via social media i'll be putting them to ian and marley next on football social daily football social daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode to hear the latest premier league news for your team just ask open sport social Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Before we answer your questions in the AQA section of the show, I want to point you in the direction of a brand new podcast from Sports Social, which is launching this Friday. It's called Football Stories, and it's me talking to a load of people within the game of football who have all got great stories to tell. There's former youth players, there's Premier League referees, there's coaches, there's chance writers. It's a real eclectic mix of people who all have one thing in common, and that's they've had a massive impact on the game of football. Series one is out Friday, so search Football Stories in whatever app it is you're using to listen to this podcast. Click subscribe and you'll get Series one as soon as it drops at the end of the week. We'll put a link to that podcast in the notes of this podcast episode as well. But let's kick on with your questions you've been sending in via social media, via Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all the usual places. We're going to start on Instagram with a question from the legendary treasure who says, who is most likely to win the league this season, Spurs or Leicester? And he says, don't let the fact that Leicester lost last weekend to Liverpool affect you because everyone loses to Liverpool. Not sure that's quite the case at the moment, but I kind of take his point. So who's going to win it? You can go first on this one, Marley. Spurs or Leicester? Spurs or Leicester? Spurs or Leicester? Uh, it's important to, on that on that message, um, I was reading it, and he did say that he doesn't necessarily think that they will win it. It's just who's more likely out of the two of them. Um, so that's yeah. a little caveat for you to think about before 
everybody listens to this podcast and goes, they're never going to win it. Leicester are never going to win it. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, of the two of them, I think you would have to go for, for Spurs, I think, um, for two reasons. One being Mourinho um, and his know-how and his his experience of, of winning big, big things for a consistent period. Um, and the second one for me would be um, Leicester have to play on a Thursday night um, until at least Christmas um, in the Europa League. So there's a fair bit of travelling and sometimes with the weird schedule there's a little bit less recovery time um, a lot of the time. Leicester could be playing on a Thursday at 8 o'clock and, and then playing on a, a Sunday at, at 2 or something like that and you only get you know Friday to recover and then Saturday to, to have a light session before you go again and you've got to do it again and they've they've struggled a little bit with injuries at the back as well uh, recently um, and I think that may just catch up with them so as of, of the two I would probably go for Spurs and obviously you can then go into the fact that they've got Kane and Son and and Bale not not fully fit yet and and everything else so of the two of them I'm not sure if anyone's actually going to win the league out of them two um, but if if I had to pick one of them to be more equipped to win it I think it'd be Spurs. It's really weird because Spurs are top of the league right now they're playing really well but I just don't see them as title contenders and I don't know why I think it's just history going against them in my head. But you look at the squad and, like you say, Kane and Son on fire at the moment. And you've got to look at the impact that Jose Mourinho has had as well on that team. Because credit to him, and we like to bash Jose, but he's got them performing incredibly well defensively. And they're scoring goals. So there's no reason why they couldn't win the Premier League, I guess. And I think Leicester, looking strong at the moment. They've got some talented players, but it feels like they just need, they just need a little bit too much luck to sustain that form until the end of the season. And they've got bad games in them as well. We only have to look at the game against West Ham, my lot, to see that they have got a poor performance in them. And you can't afford too many of them if you're going for Premier League glory. Who would you back out of those two, Ian? Are you you going on the Spurs train? Yeah, I I think I am. And and for very similar reasons, really. I mean, I can see perhaps it coming down to further into the season, um, Chelsea... And, and Tottenham. I mean, imagine that, you know, Mourinho and Lampard, you know, in the final throws of the season, and it's between one of those two. I mean, you know, that would be an exciting conclusion to the season, wouldn't it? But yeah, I think, as, as Marley mentioned, and as we've just generally said, really, that Mourinho's experience over Brendan Rodgers. Now, I mean, Brendan Rodgers has got um, title winning experience, of course, but not necessarily in the Premier League, uh, where uh, I, I just back Mourinho to, to, when it comes down to the mind games, when it comes down to the, the, the pressure time at the end end of the season I think that you know Brendan Rodgers bless him has, has sort of got form in in, in blowing uh, almost a, a guaranteed title when he was with Liverpool um, so for that reason I'm going to go with Mourinho because he's done it before Right let's move on to Lenny on Instagram who says this kind of ties in with the last question a little bit because I'm sure we're going to mention Spurs front three when we say who do you think has the Premier League's best front line on current form at the moment Marley it's Kane and Son isn't it that's the answer. Um, I'm not sure. I don't know. Um, I just think that they're two players that complement each other so well, and we, and I think you know the old saying, two like greater than the sum of their parts. I think Kane and Son are the perfect example of that because we've just seen how impotent Kane can look when he doesn't have the right players around, and we saw it for England. If he doesn't have the correct players either side of him, he just falters. And Son's pace and running and danger in front of goal, so he, he kind of occupies those as defenders, so you can't double off on Harry Kane. It just seems the perfect foil. That, that's kind of my argument towards it being there. Okay, but who's the third player? Well, it, it doesn't need to be a front three, does it? Yeah, well, they don't, they don't that really... was the question. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It Front line, front line. Uh, Two can be a line. <laughs> oh, right, okay, I thought you said front three. Um, Go on, who are you going for anyway? But um, out of, I can't look, I can't make the case of Kane and Son without thinking about what Liverpool have got. Um, and I think the wingers, the amount of goals the wingers score, to get 20 goals from each winger with Mane and, and Salah, I mm. think is is hard to ignore. And then when you add, you know, I'm a, I know Firmino doesn't score many goals, but you could even throw Jota into that mix as well, um, on his current form especially. And um, you can have a look at that and say, well, if Jota scores 10 or 15 a season, then all of a sudden you've got to... A fifty-goal strike force over the course of a season, so I think um, the just the amount they they score, I think it is hard to uh, hard to put to to not pick them. So I would uh, I would go for that. 
What about you then, Ian? Who are you going for? Because we've got obviously Mane, Salah, Firmino and Jota potentially interchanging at Liverpool. Mm. Chelsea, we've talked about Werner, Abraham and Ziyech. Everton, Rodriguez, uh, Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison. There's some, there's some pretty potent strike forces doing the rounds at the moment. Yeah, um, I, I was, we dig out, dug out some player stats earlier and uh, the reason I had them up was for this, uh, to find out definitively uh, who who was the um, actual best line. And it's very difficult to work out. Coming, coming at us with facts Yeah, I know. I'm coming out actually, I know. actually thinking about this yeah, stuff. Yeah, I know. I actually put some preparation in. And, um, and, and obviously Harry Kane is the top scorer um, at the moment and certainly the top shooter too. So the, the Tottenham front line statistically probably you would say is the strongest currently but um, Marley makes a very good case for Liverpool that is true you know that they are not just with the goals but the shots as well and assists they're really contributing so I think Liverpool Tottenham and the other one I would throw in there um, is is one that we just mentioned there as well Everton the other side of Stanley Park I think they are um, doing great work obviously um, very good with the with with scoring with Dominic Calvert-Lewin I think he is the top scorer isn't he at the moment um, is that right uh, for in the Premier League, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, he is. Is he, he, is. Is he yeah. top scorer in the Premier yeah. League at the moment? Calvert Lewin, he's got 10. Um, yeah, Son uh, on nine and Salah on eight, the top three at the moment. So, yeah, uh, and as you say, with uh, with Ricarlison and um, what's the other one again? I've forgotten his name. Um, Rodriguez. Rodriguez. Rodriguez, yes, that's it, yeah. Uh, so, th- th- those three um, are. You know, however you look at it, the strongest um, probably at the moment uh, combined, along with the, the Liverpool lineup. So it's all it's all on Merseyside, I would say. One of those two for the, the strongest, but um, take your pick. <laughs> I, di- I didn't go uh, quite as deep as Ian in looking stuff up or anything, but I was trying to think about <laughs> which players each team had going forward, and I fell on Manchester City because, like, you always think Manchester City are strong attacking. You look at the front three that Manchester City put out against Tottenham at the weekend: Jesus, Torres. Mares, you can kind of see where they're struggling a little bit this season, Marley. Yeah, you kind of think if if all them if all them players are in form, you would be talking about them as a as a proper um, you know a, a rival for everyone we've just mentioned in the past five minutes. But the fact is that they're, they're not yet, and I think the the Man City fan base with Mares is a strange one because you know the when he, when Man City aren't playing well, he does get a lot of uh, stick, and it's. It's probably warranted, to be honest. I think he's uh, he's the the one that doesn't quite fit the Man City system in in the perfect way, as, as someone like Sterling does. Um, Torres is, you know, he looks at he looks at talent, but he um, he still needs to to fully find his feet in a in a Man City shirt in the Premier League, especially. Um, and Jesus is obviously we've talked about a lot on the podcast over the past well couple of years, probably, but. He um he still needs to fully step up and and fulfil his potential. So even though it's still a quality front three, I think still Man City is stronger in midfield when you when you've got to look at like De Bruyne for for chance creation mm. rather than look towards the wingers and say well we've definitely got to stop them. You with Man City, you look at De Bruyne, whereas with Liverpool and with um, Tottenham you say right we've got to stop Kane and Son or we've got to stop Salah and Mane. And they're like gen, they're they're attacking threats like in the in the front line. But with Man City, it's it's almost like if we stop De Bruyne, then we stop the source of everything that that Man City do at the minute. Um, and if you play deep as Spurs did at the weekend, it, it becomes harder for them to to break down. So that's where I think that's where Man City are, are faltering a little bit um, in recent weeks. But like I said, if if they if those players do all hit top form, then they're they're probably as good as anyone on the day. But at the minute, they're not. So they're not really in this this conversation. I don't think. While while I've got my factoids out, um, the, it, it, on the subject of Manchester City, there isn't a single Manchester City striker in the top twenty. Uh, players uh, shots for shots um, in the Premier League at all. Uh, the only Manchester City player in the top 20 is Kevin De Bruyne for having wow. shots on goal. That's quite a telling stat there. Thank you, Ian, for bringing the stats, bringing stat the facts attack. to today's podcast. It feels like a good point there <laughs> talking about Manchester City to move our attention further towards Manchester City because they are the subject of our floodlight focus today. Nigel Rothband from The City Show is speaking to us next about Manchester City on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. To hear 
hear the latest Premier League news for your team. Just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. We're talking Manchester City now because the Blues are under the spotlight in floodlight focus. And to chat with me about the exploits of Manchester City, I've got Nigel Rothband from the Manchester City Show. How are you doing, Nigel? Are you OK? Hi, Jim. Good to talk to you. The league position for Manchester City right now, I've got to say it's unexpected. It's not what I thought would be happening at the beginning of the season. And we're now almost a quarter of the way through. Results have been a little bit meh. The football has kind of been a little bit slow, lacking a bit of spark as well. Is there a problem at Manchester City at the moment? Well, I'm not sure if there's a problem, Jim. I mean, it's clearly disappointing when you think of the unprecedented success that we've had over the last five or six seasons. You know, we think back to the Formidables, the Centurions. Yeah, it's been a disappointing start. I guess there are reasons for it, as always. We have a late start, of course. There are injuries, I suppose people would laugh when I when I mention that because of the the, the depth of the squad and, and, and the investment that's been made. But it does it does impact on, on the team. We've had COVID through the ranks as well, and when you have Aguero and Jesus both out, it it, it does it does change things. And, and I think also we are going through a little bit of a transition. Lost company a couple of seasons yeah. ago, and of course. I don't think we can underestimate David Silva moving on and what, what a job he's doing at Real Sociedad as well, of course, uh, who are topping their league as well. So I think there are factors, there are issues. We've got a game in hand as well. You know, we win that game and we're kind of still within striking distance. We're going to be, what, five points off the lead. So I don't think it's time quite yet to impel myself on the bread knife. I think we'll, we'll be OK. Does it feel like this transition period is dragging a little bit? Because you mentioned Vinnie Company. I mean, he's not been part of the Manchester City starting lineup for some time now they've been aware that they needed to replace him and you could say the same about potentially other players that have left the club as well do you think the club have maybe been a little bit slow to react to these challenges that ultimately knew they were going to face in terms of personnel I think the company one's a fair one I think we haven't had that centre-back pairing that we enjoyed when company was there who was absolutely the rock of that defence and I think we've suffered as a result I think Having said that, the combination of Americ Laporte and, and Ruben Diaz, I've, although they weren't great against Spurs at the, at the weekend, I think we've got there the start of a, of a really solid pairing. So I think those two are looking good. I think it has taken time for, for us to get that sorted. I think we've lacked leadership as well uh, with company going, and, and maybe that's lacking a little bit. But in terms of centre-back now, I think that's well sorted. There are other areas. Mm. Um, I'd like to see more of Foden. Um, I, I think that he adds a spark and an energy and a youthfulness. I think that's missing sometimes. We've been a little bit pedestrian, the ball being knocked sideways and backwards maybe too much. So I think, yeah, there are still challenges. But in, in, terms, of, in terms of that centre-back, I think uh, those two are looking pretty good at the moment. It's interesting you mentioned David Silva before, because I've seen a few people suggesting that he's the big miss this season, that him moving on is like you say, the spark that maybe City have missed in midfield. From, from my understanding, from my point of view of City, and obviously I don't watch them as much or haven't watched them as much as yourself, is that he's been very much a bit part player over his last couple of seasons at City. So has he really been that much of a miss? Well, say I'm, I'm just adding him into the mix, Jim, with, with a number of other things that I've mentioned. I don't mm. think there's, in these situations, I don't think there's ever one issue. There's never just one thing. I think it's a factor. I think the other thing to say is De Bruyne, who has been sensational, has been people describing him in the past as being the best player on the planet. I'm not not sure about that. He's pretty special. Um, And he's been off the pace this season as well. So I think, think, you know, the four or five, six different things that that make up that picture. And I think Silver is is part of that that potential problem and and part of the reason we've had a bit of a disappointing start. Given these issues, and I say issues in inverted commas, because although... People like to throw around the term crisis when it comes to Manchester City. I'm not sure it's quite a crisis status yet. <laughs> Were you a little bit surprised to see the the universal celebrations amongst City fans, I guess, when it came to Guardiola's new contract that he signed last week? I wasn't surprised at all. I was joining in those celebrations, Jim. I think he's the, the best manager on the planet. I think we've had unprecedented success. I think the football we have played has been absolutely outstanding and a joy to watch. So I'm delighted because... I think, yeah, a little bit of rebuilding required, but I think he has been fantastic for the club. Um, He's been fantastic for the team. Um, So I joined those celebrations and was thrilled and delighted. And uh, 
you know, he's he's not stayed this long at any club in his mm. history. I think he, you know, he loves he loves the club. I think he enjoys the Manchester weather under completely understandably. Um, he's made it his home, um, and he wants to stay for two more years, which is brilliant, I think, for all concerned. I mean, I'm a proud Manchester resident, Nigel. I'm not sure anyone enjoys the Manchester weather. <laughs> <laughs> I think you might have that one slightly wrong. I mean, I guess the issue for. <laughs> City fans, or the question for City fans, if anything, and Pep Guardiola is that he hasn't stayed at a club this long before, that actually what he faces at Manchester City is a new challenge. That idea that phase one of his plan has reached conclusion and he's now into phase two. He's He's got that rebuilding job that arguably he hasn't really done before. Does that, do you have any concerns about that at all? No, I don't think I do. I think he's got the backing of the board. Um, he's got his team around him that he trusts. He's got the core of a very good side there as well. You know, we've mentioned Foden, we've mentioned De Bruyne, um, Aguera, who will be, it's coming to the end of his career. Uh, we've talked about that, that sort of centre-back pairing. I think Walker's playing the best football he's played for many seasons. Yeah. So there is the core of a very, very good side there. Um, and yeah, it's going to take a bit of time. I think it is about a rebuilding job. Um, where do we need to strengthen? Well, I, we, we talked about the centre-back pairing being potentially sorted. Left-back despite all the investment over the years, is still a problem. You know, Mendy still has injury problems. Cancelo, I think, is better at right back. I always think he struggles on the left. Sinchenko's only ever been kind of a, a sort of a, a temporary replacement, either midfielder, as we know. So I think left back is a problem. I think we need another striker. Um, Aguero, I think... What else is there to say about him? Um, we, we look forward to his statue being built alongside Silvers and companies and maybe one or two others. Absolute legend. He's he's going to play less games, isn't he, with his injuries. He's getting on a bit now. Um, and, and, of course, that only leaves Jesus. So I think we probably need another striker as well. So, so there are there are areas that we need to strengthen, and uh, he may not have done it before. He may have in, inherited great squads in the past, but I, I don't think it's beyond him, uh, the football club, and, and the people around him to be able to do that. I've got every confidence that will be done very easily. You could have the Aguero statue next to the Vinnie Company statue, shouting "Vinny, no." That would be quite fitting. I think <laughs> I like that. I was, I was there that night against Leicester. That was, I mean, the, it was just. What a strike. And, and again, you, you, you know, people remember the circumstances and uh, it was just that, that fraction of a second of silence. And, and then suddenly the place erupted. We miss that so much, Jim, don't we? Sitting on our sofa, it's not quite the same. Signs that it is coming back soon, though. So fingers crossed for that one. Uh, more immediate concerns, I guess, for tonight and Olympiacos in the Champions League. An opposition that wouldn't normally be a problem for City, but... You never quite know at the moment with Manchester City's form. Do you have any reservations about this one? I don't, Jim, to be honest. I think the good news is we've got points in the bank, haven't we, already? A fantastic start in the Champions League. Um, I mean, Ferran, Ferran Torres is absolutely on fire, of course, scoring at will. Um, also in, in the international break as well, of course, scored a hat-trick. Mm. Uh, so, so I think we're, we're looking good. Um, we've pretty much secured top spot, so uh, potentially a difficult trip. I wouldn't call it a banana skin. I think we're, we're, we're comfortably through on that one. And, and, of course, we need to build momentum as well. So people are saying, look, he's got to ring the changes and bring some of the youngsters in. I'm not sure. I think we need to – let's get a few wins under our belt. I know the games are coming thick and fast, and that's difficult for players, and injuries is always a concern. But I, I want us to build some momentum. Let's get a good win, and let's take that into the league um, against Burnley at the weekend as well. What did you make of Pep Guardiola's comments ahead of the game? And he talked about his obsession with the Champions League in that he doesn't have an obsession with City potentially – winning the Champions League. We seem to project this desperation onto him that he it's his number one priority is to bring the Champions League to Manchester City. Do you believe what he's saying, that he doesn't maybe care about it as much as we think he does? Listen, I, I trust trust Pep implicitly and, and I think I, I... It's difficult, isn't it? I think clearly the, the owners have got the Champions League as the, the monkey on our back, if you like, that we've kind of got to win. I think if you talk to both City fans, they, they would want us to dominate the domestic league, which, of course, we have done in the past, and we want to win the Premier League again. Um, is this an obsession? I'm not sure if it is. I'm sure it's something he'd like to win. He's not won it for a while now, of course, with any club. Um, so, so, yes, he wants to win it, um, but he's not going to sort of make that so obvious in, in the press, I don't think, is he? He's not going to make it a, a, a bigger problem than it potentially is. Um, fans, I think, are less bothered. I suspect the owners and the club and therefore Pep probably are more bothered about it and probably see it as being a bit more of a priority. 
where we stand at the moment with Manchester City in terms of where you are in the league, your progress in the Champions League, what are your expectations this season? You've already talked about how the club need to rebuild. Does that taper what you expect the club to achieve this year or do you ex- still expect some form of silverware apart from the League Cup, which I think is a bit of a given, but apart from some other form of silverware to be in the cabinet come the end of the term? Well, listen, Jim, you know me of old and, and I've got probably more grey hairs than, than I'd wish to to, to, uh, to to own up to. And I go back a long way. So for, for us to be in this situation where we're in the Champions League, where we're just expected to win silverware is quite special and I'm enjoying every moment of it. We've said already we're going through a bit of a transition, aren't we? So is it going to be the same as the Formidables or, or the Centurions? I'm, I'm not sure. It'd be nice to get some silverware. would be nice to win the Premier League. But you know what? I'm just looking forward to seeing us playing great football, mm. um, seeing the, the, the youngsters like Foden develop, see De Bruyne back to his best. Um, be great to see that centre-back pairing working well. Be nice to bring in a new striker, uh, Aguero scoring again. So I'm just, I'm just loving sort of seeing the sort of football we, we have played. I'd love to see that back. And if it means some more silverware, that would be great as well. But I'm just uh, loving the football. It would be nice to, to get back to the Etihad again. Nigel, pleasure to speak to you as always. If people want to hear more from you and the rest of the team and they want some more Manchester City content in their lives, where can they find you? Um, on Twitter, I'm at NJLR, uh, but the podcast is called, as you rightly said at the start, it's called The Man City Show. Uh, we record every week uh, and we're on Twitter as well and we're at City Podcast, so give us a listen. You can find us where you hear your usual podcasts, at City Podcast. There you go. You can search The Man City Show where you find your podcasts. And while you're there, make sure you give them a review and us a review as well. Tell us what you think of this show, because that is it for Football Social Daily for another day. We'll be back tomorrow with another episode. Make sure you click subscribe so you never miss one. And we'll see you next time. Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Find us on Twitter at The Sports Social. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.